You are listening to Share a Slice with Sean. So have you ever felt like you're going to break when life got too hard? Um, maybe you felt like that tree in the storm that just gets broken by the wind. And really the way around that is to be flexible uh, in life and also um, in reality. If you're a tree, uh, better off being a blade of tall grass that can bend under the wind and not break rigidly. The same is true for water. If, you, uh, if you're a stream, you're able to get around all of your obstacles using the path of least resistance, uh, the path of most slack. But um, if you're rigid in your desires and you want everything to work out for you, Things are not going to work out. You're probably going to go crazy. And believe me, this is um, a lesson which has taken me years to learn, and I still screw it up. Um, what does this have to do with the current guest? Well, the guest this episode is Adina, and she is a professional contortionist out of Toronto, Ontario. And her show names are Silica Contortion or Silica Serpentine. And her act is absolutely amazing. Um, I'll be putting up links to videos and her Instagram in the show notes. Um, you can just go to Silica Contortion, Silica, the letter K in that word. So we learn in this interview about how being flexible and being able to bend under pressure gracefully really is the secret in the world, I think. Um, I also want to thank um, Scott Moon for contributing some audio tracks to this show. And uh, so there'll be a bit of a new sound for this show, and all the tracks are copyright. Scott Moon, thank you so, so much. Um, Scott Moon actually has been doing some composition for Mr. Lobo, uh, who's a previous guest on this show, and he also managed to get a, an upcoming guest on the show as well. I won't give out the secret, but I'm very excited about an upcoming guest who Scott was able to uh, uh, cajole to be on the show. I'm really excited about that. Anyway, without further ado, let's go into the interview with Adina from Silica Contortion in Toronto. So Silica, welcome so much to the show. Your your actual real name is Adina, but your performance name is Silica. Can you tell yes. me first of all like what 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 where did the name Silica come from? <laughs> um it came from a song and uh, a, a very interesting artist called Spangle. And I learned of them uh, through music festivals. I started going a few years back, uh, probably eight years ago at this point. Um, a lot of alternative music, uh, lots of psychedelic music. And one of Spangl's songs 
um, says the word silicon, he's describing the different modes of communication and uh, what silica is. And the song resonated with me and that name resonated with me, that word. And I remember it stuck with me so much that I wrote it in my journal and I started spelling it many different ways. And I'm uh, not much for writing names down, but <laughs> that was the first name that entered my journal. And about two years later, I started performing and somebody asked me what my performance name was. And I sat there for a little bit and couldn't think of anything. And then all of a sudden, I remembered that name I had written in my journal. And it was instant. I knew that was the name. Um, if you look up silica, it's a, it's a component. It's in many properties. And it means resilience, um, flexibility, strength. Uh, and all of those things resonated with what I was doing. So the name, yeah, that's where it came from, came from the song. <laughs> and, and I mean, it's flexibility. So really it's about, I mean, you're all about being able to bend a whole lot, kind of like a blade of grass, but you don't, you don't snap. So you, I mean, you're, yeah, bend, you're don't break. <laughs> that's it. Because, um, just to fill the audience in, you are a professional contortionist and that means that you, you can just basically bend like a pretzel. Yeah, well, I'm still working on it. I'm nowhere near my goal. <laughs> I mean, I saw some of the videos, and I'm definitely going to link to your your big demo video in the woods that I saw. Um, and, I mean, in these videos, you're like standing upside down. You're, you're, you're wrapping your legs all the way forward to your head. Uh, I mean... Were you always this flexible or were you always more flexible than other people? Or is this, were you sort of average and then it got better? Yeah, I, I, I always love this question. It's such a juicy one because um, the answer is not what people expect. Um, I actually started contortion seven years ago. Mm. And prior to that, I was not very flexible. So um, in my experience through research and interaction with other circus artists, there's three types of bodies. Um, some people's bodies are very muscular and more more um, easy to build muscle and um, harder to stretch. Some people have a mix of uh, softer tissue and muscle, so uh, they gain muscle, but they can also stretch. And then other people have this elasticity to them. So I kind of fit right in the center. I gain a lot of muscle mass quickly, and I'm able to stretch my muscles uh, relatively easy but not with as much ease as someone with more elasticity than myself um so about seven years ago i couldn't do the splits for example i couldn't do a handstand to save my life <laughs> so it took a lot of dedication a lot of practice and a lot of consistency and a lot of hours and uh, frequency yeah i can only well. imagine i mean i'm six foot something and i mean <laughs> There seems to be something about taller people. Like, I'm probably one of the least flexible people I know. Like, I can't... Bigger people, I think, prob they seem to be less flexible. And you look, based on what I can see from the videos, you look like a not a tiny, petite person, but not a gigantic, huge, tall, Olga, gigantic person, but kind of in between, right? Yeah, I'm about 5'8". Yeah, so I'm not I'm not short, but uh, I'm definitely not overly tall. But I think that's another misconception because I've met so many people 
in the circus world. And also I, I know so many and follow so many on Instagram and I've seen contortionist men who are incredibly muscular, tall, um, large men, and they're incredible contortionists, you know, and I've seen women who are overweight. I mean, and what I'm saying, I, I, and I'm not even being insulting, but fat, more fat all over their body and they can bend themselves in half. So that really threw me through a loop because <laughs> I had the idea that you... it's really your muscles then, is it? I mean, that's what's it's preventing the muscle. you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the muscles. Um, I develop a lot of muscle weight very quickly. Like if I do 10 pushups right now, I will already lose range of motion tomorrow and the day after if I'm not actively working on my flexibility in that area. Oh yeah, because I used to work out at the gym and I would see these, you know, these giant, uh, I guess back in the day I used to call them kind of like meatheads, like these just like big, yeah. bulky <laughs> dudes and, uh, you know, mm -hmm. off of Jersey Shore or something and they would be like, yeah, they look look stiff. Like basically, I think that if I I ever got into an argument with one, all I'd have to do is basically run, and then they'd have to they'd be like, you know, waddling after me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. They do. They lack a lot of range of motion. I I um I just had a performance with um uh for a new gym called Forties West in Mississauga, and they're uh, power lifters, and they had me on just as a a kind of a, a welcoming for their guests because they just opened up their new gym. And a lot of them were really, really big, muscularly huge, uh, but they didn't have any range of motion. So they were really fascinated with my um, combination of flexibility and strength. And they had the same questions that you did. And my answer to them was as much as you work out your muscles, you got to stretch maybe twice as much depending on you know, your body structure. If you gain flexibility easier, then maybe you can work on your flexibility at the same pace as um, you're working out your muscles. Yeah, actually, um, that's one thing too, is you don't want to injure yourself. And I'm always, when I work out, I've always told to stretch because it's that flexibility that makes it so you don't go tear something, right? I, I exactly. Mean, that's the most important. Yeah, I mean, have you ever hurt yourself or overextended yourself when uh, trying to reach that extra, I don't know, two millimeters or one millimeter stretch? No, um, knock on wood. <laughs> Actually, in the seven years that I've been doing this, I've never injured myself um, through controlled stretching. Uh, but I've always had more muscle than... Um, other contortionists that mm. I've, I've encountered mm -hmm. personally. So it makes it a lot easier because I can control my movements with my muscles. Yeah. Some of the dangers in not having um, muscles with flexibility is that you can fold and tear something very easily. Right. Um, if you... Having too much muscles and overextending, you can also tear. Right. But if you've got that right combination, um, contortion is really about using those muscles to extend yourself, extend yourself and fold rather than just straight up fold, you know? So, um, I haven't actually injured myself. There was one performance. Um, well, I haven't injured myself in stretching. I had a little, I, what other circus artists are telling me is a rib out of place. 
I'm not sure if that's what it is, but there was one performance I had, which was for Krampus Ball. And I didn't have the time that I needed to warm up because the crew was a little disorganized with their time. So they came out into the back. I had been warming up for an hour and a half already. And then I was cooling down for half an hour because they were behind schedule. And they ran behind the room and they said, you got to go out right now. You've got five minutes to rehearse your show before everything starts, you know, going. And so I said, okay. And I got out there in the five minutes that I rehearsed my show, I had a pop in my back. And that was the first injury I ever had. And this was six months ago. And in my training, I've never had injuries, so I was incredibly disappointed um, because I was put in a position where I had to rush and prepare according to someone else's schedule, and I paid the price. It felt like a Charlie horse um, in my back. So every time I tried to inhale, um, all the oxygen mm. just pushed out of me, and it was one of the most incredible uh, pains I've ever had <laughs> in my life. And um, I still performed that night. So that was rehearsal. Uh, five minutes, I went in the back. I couldn't inhale. Every time I inhaled, I had that shocking pain. My partner was there trying to massage the whole thing out. And in an hour, it was kind of like a make it or break it, even though I did break it. <laughs> I went out there and I performed. And I went home limping. And I had to sleep on one of those massage balls the entire night Jeez. and a pack of ice. And... Uh, yeah, the pain is still it's still there and I'm still healing it. It's been wow. eight months now. So so like you said you were warming up for an hour and a half. Like so you have to like go through some sort of elaborate stretch exercise to make sure that you have everything kind of stretched out or like warmed warm up, up. Yes. Yes, warm up is critical for contortion. Um one of the biggest issues with performances is set times. So if they say that I'm going on at 8 p.m., I only need half an hour to 20 minutes prior to performance to warm up because that's the level of flexibility that I'm at. So I do not need an hour or an hour and a half. It was just that I was in the back waiting for them to call me on for rehearsal and they kept um, pushing this, this schedule further and further wow. away. So I ended up warming up for an hour and a half and then they still weren't calling me. So I said, I can't do this anymore. I'm just going to sit here. And that's when they told me to come out. My body had cooled down for about five to 10 minutes Yeah, and the injury happened. So it's very important during performances and rehearsal times that they stick with their set times. And if there's any change in set times, they have to notify circus performers because there's so much injury that can happen. I had another uh, circus performer on the show and uh she is a sword swallower and she said that um basically she has to get into a mental space to be able to do mm -hmm. it like she has to like yeah. she li literally has to stop her breathing while she's doing it she, and you know she has to control so she doesn't swallow or do anything like that when she's got this thing down her throat right um, do you have mm -hmm. to, is part of your show like getting into a zone, like trying to get there? Oh, totally. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is balance. Balance is thrown off with adrenaline. Um, everything is about breath uh, with contortion. The hyperextension of my back and bringing my legs over my head and forward means that I'm compressing my lungs 
and my ribs and all of my back muscles. So in that compression, I really have to control um, and regulate my breathing, uh, my heart rate, and just my mental space of calmness. So if any of that is thrown off, I mean, it's already hard with the adrenaline, the excitement of the crowd. Yeah. Um, my heart rate is already elevated and my breathing is already high. So it, it's constantly trying to get back into my body during the performance. But prior to the performance, that's a huge element is just focusing on breathing and, uh, you know, slowing everything down. Yeah, because when I'm stressed out, I tend to tense up. So, I mean, you'd get the opposite. Maybe if you're getting stressed, your body is like all your muscles are tensing. At least that's the way it works for me. So I imagine that's kind of like a mind over matter Zen-like situation. It's a combination of everything. I mean, uh, I'm trying to relax my muscles, but I'm also trying to get in my body and engage those muscles. Contortion is um, constantly a play between relax and push, relax and mm, push, mm. engaging the muscles and relaxing the muscles. We make it look very easy and we make it look like we're just allowing our body into that position. But contortion is all strength right? and all flexibility and all balance. If any of those, uh, any of those three recipes are thrown off, then the, the, you know, everything else is thrown off. So it has to be a combination of balance, strength and flexibility. It's interesting because I used to do um, Tibetan meditation and when I was doing it, the whole goal was to kind of like leave the self and kind of nullify so that, you know, I'm not, I get out of myself and I'm not, I don't really feel my body anymore, but it's like you're doing mm -hmm. meditation. You are doing meditation, but you're doing meditation on a very specific thing. You're trying to be in yourself and aware of everything, mm -hmm. your whole body. Well, it's interesting that you brought up meditation because that's actually why I became a contortionist seven years ago. Um, I, it started through meditation and uh, I decided I wanted to be more flexible and uh, I have a power table at home and I do meditation. This is a part of my practice for many years now. And I lit all the candles on my altar and I would get into a deep trance state for three to four hours. And during the, those three to four hours, I would literally leave my body um, and I would be able to hold postures for more than five minutes. Mm -hmm. And that's how I was able to gain flexibility in a matter of six months during that time. This was seven years ago. Um, and now it's changed. Instead of leaving my body, it's meditating by being present in my body. But I think seven years ago, the goal was to leave my body so I can withstand the uh, discomfort. Yeah. And now that I have more comfort, now it's getting into my body so that I can focus on where I want to go next with my flexibility and my balance. Yeah. I mean, when I was doing the meditation, um, the pain uh, becomes so excruciating for me, at least, because I guess I'm kind of tall. Uh, the little cushion that I got under my bum just wasn't cutting it for my big legs. And, uh, I, you know, I would feel my legs go to sleep. And then I would kind of, like, mm -hmm. get out of myself to avoid that. Um, but it's interesting because it's like you, you went to an, another level. Um, well, speaking of other levels, actually, you recently... I mean, you're based in Toronto. 
but you recently went to um, Mongolia to go on a mm -hmm. tour. Can you tell me a little bit about yes. that trip? Yeah, that was quite a trip. Um, it was three weeks in Mongolia. Um, I found this person uh, on Instagram. His name is Usuku. And um, it's called the uh, Mongolian Contortion Center. And I was just taken by um, their training practices and principles. I was following all of their videos. And um, I saw other students that were going from the States and Canada. So I said, okay, maybe this is something that I can do. So after touching base with a few people on Instagram who have actually been there and could confirm it was a real school, I decided to take the leap. Um, it was kind of nerve wracking because they don't speak English very well. Mm -hmm. I'd say he, my coach speaks about, I don't know, 40, 50% English. So he has an assistant that works as a translator. So when I was emailing to get information, I would have to speak with the translator to ask all the questions and the emails coming back and forth were, you know, sometimes difficult to read. And we had to clarify a few things. So I was really nervous because I've never gone traveled that far yeah, and I've never traveled alone. So that was, um, another, you know, part of my self-discovery and, and growth and meditation was to go somewhere, um, far away from home by myself and pursue something that I'm dedicated about. Um, when I got there, they picked me up, um, two of his uh, assistants and one of them speaks English, one of them doesn't. So it was an interesting drive uh, through the snowy mountains to get there. And uh, when I arrived, my coach, it was a Sunday and it was their New Year's actually in Mongolia. And he left his family to come and meet me at the studio to discuss uh, what my goals were. So we had, there we were with uh, two, you know, my coach and his assistant who doesn't speak English and his assistant who's also a translator. And it was just kind of surreal because I'm standing in this room and I'm with these three individuals and I have no idea where this is going to go. Um, so he basically tested my flexibility the next morning. So he put me into a number of different positions um, to see where my resistance was and where my pain was. And also to uh, get acquainted with my, my mind and my mental strength because they've had people come there and say, you know what? I can't do this. It's too painful. You wow. Know? So he was trying to assess, um, what type of mind I have and how he can work with me. Um, uh, most people that go there to train, train for about a month to four or six months. I was going for three weeks and the first week was a lot about travel. So technically I only had two weeks, 14 days of training. Uh, my coach expressed to me that he was quite nervous in the beginning about me coming for just two weeks because he wasn't sure that I was going to have any progression. No one has ever come that short of time. Um, by the end of my training, I didn't have my middle, uh, by the beginning, I didn't have my middle splits. And by the end I did, um, he said he's never ha experienced that level of, um, I guess, dedication and improvement in such a short period of time with anyone. And he's been doing this for 20 years, um, teaching and, and training Mon Mongolian contortion. So I was really happy to hear that. Um, I, for me, it was a, it was a make it or break it type of situation. So I, I didn't really have a choice. 
I said, I came this far. I'm going to do this. And I have to say it was incredibly painful. It was incredibly mentally challenging. I would wake up in the middle of the night sometimes crying because I had traumatic things come up from my past that I didn't remember. Uh Um, Because we we definitely um, have blockages, emotional blockages that are stored in our bodies. Uh, And contortion has been definitely a healing path for me. Uh, but very eye-opening as to how much was uh, stored in my body. So when he would stretch me, you know, he's literally sitting on me and pulling me and pushing me and holding those, um, those positions for three minutes. And I'm, I'm crying sometimes, you know, and, and that's part of the process is breathing, making weird sounds. Um, Crying was a very difficult one for me because I felt like I was failing by crying and I felt Uh, vulnerable. I felt like I was exposing myself, but he was an excellent coach. And that when I really, really went to that place and just started to break down, I couldn't hold it anymore. He would say that this is good. Very, very good. Let it out. It relaxes the body and therefore it relaxes the muscle. Crying is very good for you. Very good. Very normal. So he normalized that process, which I think makes him a really great coach because you can't, there's no way anyone can do contortion without patience. Um, everyone's going to experience discomfort and pain, especially with Mongolian contortion. They really push and pull. Um, they don't kid around, you know, they, they, they really perfect their art and there's a, there's logic to their madness. Um, but you know, they have to be patient and he was, he was very patient. That, I mean, that's extraordinary that you got the chance to go over there. And I think it's interesting about the blockage thing because um, I know that people, they think, what do you mean by blockage? But I mean, when I was a kid, I have it. I don't know if you've ever heard of like alien abductions. Like I, I'm not saying I was abducted by an alien, but what I'm saying is that people talk about aliens. (laughs) They got, they got like (laughs) missing time and stuff like that where like, they're like, oh, what about missing time? And the thing is that um, I, when I was, I, I can't, I, I'd have to say that I have large gaps in my childhood that are missing from my memory up to around when I went to university. Because when I went to university, I was free from a uh, either what, what, what some people would call an abusive situation at home, definitely an oppressive situation when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. So um, I had whole periods where like someone would say, well, what about, you know, 1997? And I would say, I have nothing for 1997. I, I, I can't tell you anything that happened in 1997 at all. Uh, actually, this I'm older than that. Let's call it 1987. But uh, do, you, <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, and then... I do. It, it, little things like um, smelling a certain flower or smelling a certain tree or eating a certain p- piece of food can trigger um, these memories. And, and it's all there. It's just locked it up. It is. Yeah. yeah. So for Everything you, it that's was ever that. happened is filed away. Yeah, and, I, I really believe and, that. But some some things were revealed to me 
you know, I've been meditating for years and I've been stretching for seven years. So this isn't new to me. This is part of the process, but it was interesting the type of things that came up that I thought I had dealt with or overcome. And the dreams were somewhat like a lucid dream. I would have a similar traumatic incident go down, but in the dream, I was dealing with it head on. I was confronting the person. I was saying the things that needed to be said, the things that I never got to do, uh, the things that I, I never did in my dreams previous to that. So, you know, I would wake up obviously feeling alarmed and I'm crying out the whole process and I've got nobody to talk to because everyone in Canada is sleeping. And, I, you know, my coach in Mongolia is at home. I'm alone in the studio. So I really had to feel and go through this experience all by myself. But what did stick out was that in the dream itself, I actually confronted the issue and dealt with it. So that was a very interesting spin on the traumatic dreams coming up. Um, and I understood that this was this process for me going to Mongolia. The reason why I went was more than contortion. Contortion it was the incentive, but my reason was my fear blockages, which right. I wanted to overcome. And so I knew that this, I could have gone to San Francisco with Katie Briere contortion, or, you know, I, I, there's so many other contortion teachers that are much closer, but something about this one drew me in and it, it, it brought up a lot of fears, um, that I was ready to overcome. And I knew that this was the way to do it. And I, I'm the type of person where if there's fear, I head towards it because I, I'm really a firm believer of the only way out is through. Um, and that's been my motto for many years now. And it's been very effective, very hard because I can't hide from my emotions and my, my situation, but very rewarding because once I break through, then, um, I break down those fears and I'm ready for, you know, more expansion, more happiness, um, more adventure in my life. So it's all worth it in the end. And Mongolia really definitely gave me that opportunity. It's like you're leaving the place where all the memories are and you're going to this other land, this neutral place where you can like mm -hmm. face them on, on, you know, neutral ground sort of. And I, I, I'm a, I'm a classics major. I'm a literature major. So this is why we're getting into all this weird stuff. But I mean, the thing is, <laughs> it, it really is like the blade of grass that, that, you know, it, 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 it bends but it's strong and it doesn't break entirely mm -hmm. and that's kind of what you did you you took this this chaos and you're 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 finding your strength and you're 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 building uh you know what i'm, I'm getting at you're you're building you're building oh, a strong future with it mm -hmm. well, i mean the serpent is my my totem and i've i've often had a lot of dreams with the serpent that have been very revealing to me um for many years now, maybe like 12 years, it's always whenever I've had a very profound dream with the serpent and the serpent speaks to me or does something, I, I research it and it's always given me a very straight, direct answer. So uh, for a while, Silica Serpentine was my name, but I've now shed the Serpentine part and just kept Silica. But Serpentine is still in, um, in my performance. The snake is very much um, a character that I embody. A snake is very flexible, but a snake is also very strong. Um, a snake also represents change and transformation. They shed the old and they're born of the new. Yes. And 
they're also the creature that enters the other worlds, the shadow worlds, um, and come back just like the raven. Um, you know, so they, they, they're the beholder of your shadow self, the parts of you that you don't necessarily want to look at or accept or face. Um, and so the snake always comes in and, and brings me that information in my dreams and in real life. Um, I tend to be surrounded by snakes when I go out into nature. <laughs> happens very often. You yeah. also have uh, yeah. Ouroboros, too, the symbol of uh, the snake that eats itself, but it's actually a symbol of, um, what is it, uh, eternity as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes, eternal consciousness. Right. And I mean, looking at your performance, um, I see that there's a lot of shows, and I'm not sure who decides, like, if you do all your choreography or not, but there's lots of shows in the darkness, and you've got, like, all kinds of uh, fluorescent paint on you. So it looks, uh, you almost oh, look yes. kind of snake-like in some cases. Yes, that, uh, that body paint actually has a, a serpent on the front. You can mm. see clearly in the pictures. Um, that was a performance I just had on Saturday in Quebec. And um, I really wanted to capture um, silica serpentine. So the, uh, the body costume is a snake. Um, that was a very, <laughs> very incredible performance um, with the black light. I've been working on that project now for two months, and it finally was manifested this Saturday, this past Saturday. So I, I feel very accomplished right now. <laughs> that was a very big project of mine. I mean, when was your first performance? I mean, do you remember that? Like, how long did it take you to feel brave enough to go in front of other people and do an actual oh. performance <laughs> yourself? That's a fun question to answer. So, um, <laughs> Let's start with this. I, I was diagnosed with arthritis when I was 14 in my knees, mm. severe, severe arthritis. So um, when I was studying in college, I, I went through some severe episodes of, um, um, what is it, uh, lack of mobility, where my knees would swell up so much that I, I had to drain my knees. And sometimes I would drain as much as 500 milliliters from oh. both knees. Yeah, wow. Um, since then, I've been on a host of medications, methotrexate, prednisone, and Humira to regulate my arthritis. And chronic pain led to a lot of depression. And there was also a lot of traumatic things that came up in my family and my brother's passing that just um, exacerbated everything. So when you have chronic pain and trauma, it just makes the chronic pain worse and swelling worse. Um, and finally, I decided to do a big life change and I got my degree in special care counseling, and uh, I decided to go to McGill University for uh, social work and continue with that and the healing process, healing myself and healing others. And the depression got worse, and my chronic pain and swelling also got worse. And uh, I decided to drop out of McGill University. I was an honoral student in social work. And I said, I just can't do this. And I don't know what the hell I want to do, but I, I need to take a break. Um, so during, during that time off from school and uh, quitting my job, basically dropping everything that I knew, even my friends and my partner at the time, I decided to pursue something physical. And I took on pole fitness 
as my first physical activity um, as a young adult around 1920. And I, I gained so much strength and I was the top of my class within two weeks. Uh, I remember people just asking me, how the hell can you do that? And I, and I, I, I couldn't really answer cause I just had started two weeks ago, but, um, it was something that just came very easily to me. And then after a little bit, I, I got gained so much, um, so much muscle, I lost flexibility and I didn't like that lack of range of motion. I couldn't even scratch my own back without pain in my shoulders. And I was already experiencing lack of mobility with arthritis. So I was like, I can't do this. I feel like an 80 year old person in my body. I don't feel youthful. Everything hurts. I want to focus on flexibility. So I quit pole and I decided to just meditate and stretch in my room. And around that time, I, I had a muse in Montreal and was fascinated by her flexibility and uh, very inspired. And I remember staying up late at night, just watching her pictures and her videos and deciding to teach myself contortion by myself. And what happened over the course of six months was a lot of healing, um, spiritually and mentally and emotionally, but a lot of healing physically with my arthritis as well. So the swelling in my knees was going down and it seemed to go down with my emotions, with my place and time and, and in life. Like the less stress I had and the yeah. happier I was, my, the better my knees were. And that's when I started to um, go to my first festival. It was summertime. I didn't have a job. I still wasn't going back to university. I'll tell you, my dad wasn't happy. He, he was not impressed that I was out there trying to discover myself. He frowned upon it. Mm -hmm. But going to all these festivals, um, I met a lot of artistic people, a lot of dancers, DJs, um, fire breathers, sword swallowers, you name it. And I would just be on the dance floor dancing my ass off, completely enjoying the beauty of art and being surrounded by this alternative community. And one girl approached me and she said, are you a dancer? <laughs> and I said, no, I mean, I like to dance, but no, I'm not, I'm not really a dancer, you know? Um, and she said, well, you look like you are. And that was the first time a little seed was planted from the outside world or a little acknowledgement was placed and where I saw something in myself that I would not have seen had I not entered that um, alternative artistic community, music festivals and such. And um, I started to stretch more and more. And as I progressed six months later, I was, I could say in six months, I became a contortionist. I stretched for three to four hours every night consistently for six months. And wow. one morning in the summer, I literally jumped up. I woke up and sat up in my bed and I saw the blanket around me and I said, I got, I have to do something with this. I have to monetize my passion. I have to make something happen. I need to do it. And I didn't know what I was going to do. So I was, you know, still in my underwear, still in my bed. I opened my laptop and I'm like, okay, who do I contact? What do I do? Where do I start? And I signed into Facebook and I swear to God, there were two messages there from two people I've never met before. One was from Frank Mondeos from the Mondose parties in Montreal. 
And another one was uh, uh, from a woman. I can't remember her name now. It's been years, but she was part of the uh, contact dance parade. And both of them asked me if I was available to come in that week to do an audition. Just out of the blue. <laughs> out of the blue. Uh, it's not like I was promoting myself. I didn't have any videos. Like, I was, I'd, I'd never performed. I, you know, I was, I was doing some elbow stands and, and I had, you know, I had some flexibility and strength because I was doing pole and I was definitely fit. Um, I was definitely a, a great dancer. I, there was nothing about my Facebook at the time that said this is a performer. It was just energy. It was pure energy. And when I asked Frank, I said, you know, what, what compelled you to message me? I'm not even a performer. And he said, something about your Facebook just spoke to me. You seemed like a, you had something there. I don't know, energetic, you know, energy to energy. We just kind of saw each other. And I went in, I, I had a, my very first audition. I've never done an audition before. And he said he loved what I, I do. And he would like me to perform at his upcoming uh, Bal Erotic performance for Mondo Say. And that was my very first performance. And I killed it. I killed it. <laughs> I don't even know. I guess it was just very natural for me because the, the crowd loved it. There's tons of stress when you're doing something that you inherently know you're not supposed to be doing. Like, let's mm -hmm. say you're calling. It's just true that based on what we've been born with, everybody has sort of a set or even one, you know, bunch of ideal things that they should be doing based on how, what their shape is, what their body type is, what their temperament is, how their brain is set up. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. you were not, you were in university, you were killing yourself. Uh, you might have been genuinely interested in what you were doing, maybe not. Oh, I was, but... Yeah, your your stress, all of your frustration and stress was probably like manifesting itself into this swelling, it, making it worse. Like you, you probably had something that you were predisposed to and this stress was just aggravating it. It was. I mean, I was I was there because um, it was what I was told to do. Right. I had a degree in special care counseling, a three year uh, technical diploma in uh, in CGEP. Uh, Montreal, and I thought, well, you know, I, I'm going to continue my education in 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 the you know the health and care industry. I'm going to continue with social work, and that's just what people do. They go to university, and I put everything of me into that, and and yeah. then I realized that yeah. that wasn't who I was. It wasn't fulfilling me, and coming home wasn't fulfilling me at the time because it was very it was very stressful. We were not happy. We had just lost my brother at the right. time, so. Um, I, I just didn't feel like I was living. And and I always knew that there was something out there more for me. I remember in high school not connecting with any of my friends truly, uh, feeling like there was something better out there, including my friends that I had, including the, the people surrounding me and the, the environment surrounding me. There, I was I was meant for some kind of an alternative world. <laughs> I just didn't know what it was. And when I went to my first festival, um, Open Mind in Quebec, I said, this was it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I didn't feel blown away by the festival. I felt like I was at home. I didn't feel shocked at what I was seeing. Sword swallowers, fire breathers, you know, black light bubbles and, and crazy artwork. It, it felt like I was home. 
And that was the difference between me and some other people who have gone to their first festivals and felt completely, you know, blown through the roof. I kind of felt like I've come home. You're, you're with your tribe. <laughs> I'm with my tribe. Yes. And, and, uh, and I was like, okay, this is, this is doable. Everyone around me is doing it. These people are DJing and they're performing music and they're performing a visual art and they're performing physical art. So people are making a livelihood doing this. Yeah. You know, and you know, possible. yeah, you know, um, it, what your story is, it, it reminds me of other guests I've had. Like for instance, um, I've had on a performer, uh, she went with, uh, I think it was the World of Wonders uh, circus show, and mm -hmm. she did fire, she did some fire swallowing, some weights where she swung really heavy things off her, uh, I think it was off her, her tongue or something, and um, cool. she just, she just got fired from her job, and she had the worst day ever, and then for whatever reason, her friend that she knew said, oh, I'm going on the circus. Want to come? And she was like, screw it. Yeah, why not? Okay. And she went <laughs> and that's it. It changed her life, right? All of a mm -hmm. sudden she realized that was for her. And so, and so many times, like, uh, you just have to have, it's like a certain amount. I don't know if it's abandoned or if it's like maybe you hit rock bottom and then you, you realize, you know what? I'm just going to do what's, I know makes me happy or I'm going to try something new. I'm not going to go and, you know, and by the way, McGill's my mom, alma mater, mater as well. Uh, but, you know, you're not mm -hmm. going to go and, and do the standard nine to five spiel. You're going to try yeah. something new. <laughs> and you know what? McGill's yeah. always going to be there. I think that's probably what people don't get is that, I mean, your chance to go and be a performer is usually like there's a window that you can do it in, right? Like you can, you, yeah. you should just do it. I've got about can. 20 years. Yeah. Whereas you look, McGill's always going to be there or, or Concordia or, or Carlton or wherever you want to go. Right. It's yeah. always going to be there. So yeah. Carpe diem, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been a real growing process. I mean, it's, it's all about trust. And it's, it's constantly a, a, a play on, on trust and fear or, or fear versus love. And my whole life is, is a choice between one or the other. Um, yeah. In the beginning, it really was that I hit rock bottom and I was, I was very depressed and I, I had to be medicated. I was, you know, suicidal and I had no choice. I had to, you know, do something that I love or I wasn't going to make it. And so it started off as rock bottom, which is great because I didn't have any trust. So I needed a rock bottom, yeah. <laughs> but now it's, yeah. it's trust. You know, when I, when I wake up in the morning and I think about who I want to be, where I want to go, what my goals are right away, there's fear and there's trust or love. Same, 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 you know, it feels the same trust and love. Um, and I have to make a clear decision, which one I'm going to go with. And it's very obvious which one's fear because there's resistance um, and then, you know, which one's trust is just jumping in and just doing it. It's like, Hey, you want to perform next week? Yes. The answer is always yes. And then I get flooded with fear and then I, how am I going to do it? And I've never done this before. And you know, everything that I do 
I do on my own. I am self-taught. I'm, you know, self-trained. I, I usually make my own costumes. I have looked for, sought out my own music, um, make my own choreographies. So sometimes it, I get overwhelmed with fear because I, I don't have a circus troupe. I never had one. I'm not part of an agency. I'm freelance. Um, and, you know, a lot of my training and a lot of my choreograph is done without a video or without a mirror. So I often don't see myself. So um, it's it's a very different type of circus world than other people I know who have gone to circus school and have had several circus coaches and have been surrounded by circus people to give them feedback and circus friends and circus inspiration. Um, I, I haven't been given that in the same way. I've had to kind of do it myself. And so it's very easy for me to get caught up in my fears and, and my doubts. Um, yeah. But, you know, it's also made it uh, a very different type of performance and a different type of energy for sure. <laughs> I think it stands out quite a bit. Yeah, I think so too. And uh, I think that in a way, um, I'm and I'm not just telling you this because I tell all my guests this because I don't, but it's quite inspirational to see that someone can just say that I'm going to do this and then you just do that. And when it comes to rock bottom, and I, this is going to sound cheesy, I guess, to some people, but there are some plus signs to rock bottom because once you hit rock bottom, then y you've hit the bottom. You, you got to go up like you, you're going to go up. Mm -hmm. Right. So you, mm -hmm. you're going to go upward at that point. So you really do kind of want to find the bottom when you're falling. And, and luckily you found it and you went back up again. What are what are your projects right now? And, and I mean, what are you working on for the future? Do you got any anything cooking in the oven? Yeah, well, um, the demo video that you saw with me in the forest, that was my first project. Um, my second project was this black light piece. Um, I hired one of my close friends who is an artist. His name is Cesar. He's part of Cesar Neuromantics, and he does black light artwork. Incredible stuff. And I asked him to paint my bodysuit so that his work could be shown and I could perform it and, you know, I can collaborate with other artists and friends. That's where my goal is right now. So that second project is done. And I have two other visions um, that I would like to manifest into a video. I, I've always been fond of uh, music videos. Ever since I was a kid, I would hear a song and within three seconds, the music video in my head was made. So I, I, I have a big interest in creating um, a visually um, artistic piece of contortion that is not only a contortion demo, but it's also kind of like a music video where there's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end. There's a story. I'm conveying uh, something emotive. Um, I'm conveying a storyline through my body, through the music, um, and through the, the visuals and the sound. So I've got two more that I'd like to um, create. And as, as soon as I get going, those are going to be out on Instagram, hopefully this year. But That's it's, great. Uh, it's a lot of work. So it's, you know, it's about two to three months to put together a really awesome video that captures my vision. Um, but so, I'm well on my way because I got two out of four done. <laughs> awesome. That's great. Uh, listen, uh, Adina slash Silica. 
Uh, thanks so, so much for being on the show today. It was a really, really thanks interesting conversation. Well, that's about it for this episode. I really want to thank Adina for being on the show. Remember, you can check her out on Instagram at silica underscore contortion. That's silica with a K. And you can also check her out over at Facebook. Her code for Facebook, at least, her name is silica 888 Chinese. Good luck. Um, I also want to thank Scott moon again for donating the audio tracks i'm going to work as many of those into the show where it fits in very excited about that and of course i want to encourage you to visit the website for this particular show uh shareslicepodcast.com you can subscribe there please please leave reviews for me wherever you can leave reviews in your iphone device uh, Stitcher, wherever. It really does help me, at least psychologically. Also, follow the Instagram. You can go to Share Slice Podcast over at Instagram. Uh, I don't really update the Facebook very often, but Instagram and Twitter get updated more often. So check those out if you can, please. You can always subscribe again over at Apple. Um, so recently... I've been learning the accordion, and I'm a little bit shy about this. Um, I've kind of practiced one of the level one songs, and so I hope to be able to play that song for you right now as a parting gift or curse um, before leading off into the regular promos for Mr. Lobo's uh, OSI 74, Mr. Lobo's um, cinema, cinema Insomnia, and also the Subgenius, Church of the Subgenius, that kind of stuff. So please, I'm very sensitive about this, but I've been learning the accordion, so bear with me. Here we go. I'm going to try and play something for you. to a different form of court, this court you might call the Church of the Subgenius. Now you might ask yourself, what do you mean by Church of the Subgenius? Well, we sent our own Bill Cates out to find out, and this is what he learned. Okay, we're here with the Reverend Ivan Stang. 
who is the, uh, well, what would you call yourself in relation to this church? I am the sacred scribe of the Church of the Subgenius, a mere servant of our guru and saint of sales, J.R. Bob Dobbs. Praise his sweet name. Now, for those of our listeners not familiar with just who the Church of the Subgenius and J.R. Bob Dobbs are, could you briefly give us a capsule description? Well, the Church of the Subgenius is what you might call a disorganized religion, or uh, you might say a non-organization for for non-joiners, for people who wouldn't be caught dead joining anything. It is a church, but it's a a church for sinners, uh, disbelievers, or or people who believe anything. Mutants, misfits, you know, your class clowns, your blasphemers, and talk show hosts. And and who is J.R. Bob Dobbs? He's the, the guru. Bob Dobbs is the. Technically, he's called the high epopt. Actually, he's the the very salesman of the gods. Uh, that man, if he is indeed a man, who has come to to keep the conspiracy of the normals from buying your slack away from you. You see, preachers have to do more than than just lay people and bob dobbs i think is is here to to bring slack to the slackless and if you friends if you don't know what slack is then it's probably too late you should probably just shut your radio off because you're gonna find out how much you've been missing okay what is slack well if you have to ask you'll never know as the hell's angels once put it uh those who know don't say and those who say don't know which leads me to wonder why they said it actually uh slack is uh well to compare it to happiness uh slack makes happiness feel like having your eyes gouged out with a carrot peeler it makes the nirvana of the buddha feel like being buried up to your to your neck in sand waiting for the uh, the ants to come and eat your face away or maybe a lawnmower to come mow your head off perhaps sure sure Hmm. Yeah, I've got the recipe for a grandma face sandwich if you ever need it. Uh, what essentially what we're doing to, to get serious here? Uh, what we're essentially doing is we're uh, the Church of the Subgenius is trying to tempt sinners away from the devil. Now, what they do, where they go after that, is up to them. But Bob Dobbs is is a mighty, mighty man, uh, or 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 God. We're not, we're not sure which, and it doesn't really matter. Uh, and he he operates out of his skyscraper headquarters in Dallas, Texas, where I work, uh, in the Bible Belt. And what we're essentially doing through our magazines, our radio shows, the tapes we sell, and our, our new videotape, um, we're trying to unbuckle the Bible Belt and get them to sort of drop their pants and make them face their own private desires. So, friends, if you could just open your heart and bend over, because Bob's coming. He's coming. And he, and he, comes, not, he comes not to forgive your sins. We leave that to better connected deities. Bob Dobbs comes and comes again and again to justify your sins, my friends, to excuse your sins, to offer you that great excuse that I know you need, my brothers and sisters. How can you tell? Oh, there's no way to tell. Because Bob's coming. He's sneaking up on you. Can't you hear him? Can't you feel him? What? 
the hell do you think you're doing? Dragging your butt through the day, selling body and soul to a bunch of bland normals? Acting stupid so they'll think you're one of them? Tired of getting all of the guilt, but none of the sex? There is a simple answer, dear friend. A glowing beacon of slack amidst the turmoil and darkness. It's J.R. Bob Dobbs, the living slack master in his church of the subgenius. Bob brings a new destiny for the abnormal. For Bob comes to justify our sins, to unmask the conspiracy, and to get us back the slack they stole away. It's us versus them. Are you going to fry in hell on earth alongside the pink boys? Or will you pull the wool over your own eyes and accept Bob into your mind? Repent, quit your job, slack off, and praise Bob! Church of the Subgenius Eternal Salvation or triple your money back. You're not dreaming. You're here in the vast and technologically advanced OSI 74 studios where my co-host Miss Mittens and I, your host Mr. Lobo, are getting ready to host a brand new season of Cinema Insomnia. But this time, we want to get you Sinsomniacs involved. Please come join us at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash cinema insomnia, where you'll find Mr. Lobo is making your new TV shows, and we're involving you in the process. Even at the dollar level, you will have access to uh, exclusives that other Sinsomniacs Aren't. You'll have access to Mr. Lobo that few Sinsomniacs get to enjoy. Uh, there'll be other perks at other tiers, too. You'll be able to get props from the show, potentially. Uh, you'll be able to get um, your name in the credits, perhaps. Uh, maybe you could uh, bend steel bars with your bare hands, levitate cars, fly. I mean, think of it. Anything is possible if you come, be a part, and join our inner, sweet, double-stuffed, deep, salty, caramel, double-dipped, gooey, center, super core. And, um, Mr. Lobo's getting hungry all of a sudden, but, um, look, you hit the subscribe bar, Mr. Lobo's gonna hit the snack bar, and, and we'll see you later for a brand new season of Cinema and Sun.